0: Welcome to Catch the Fire London Podcast. We hope as you listen to this message that you will encounter God's transforming presence.
1: There we go, now you get to read the whole of Daniel 3 in your best, the whole of it. Come on, isn't this great? This is great fun. Don't mess it up. Don't mess it up, great,
0: thanks. Do I need to... Um, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors treasurers, judges, magistrates and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up so the satraps, prefects, governors, advisers, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officers assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, "Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do: as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp." pipe, and all all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, the lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of the of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up at this time some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews they said to King Nebuchadnezzar that may the king live forever your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn flutes or the lyre harp pipe and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace but there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They, ne- they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with ne- rage, Nebuchadnezzar had summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar, um, said to them, "Is it it is true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are already to f- are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then." What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, you, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of the gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men firmly tied to the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar... Um, leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the burning furnace, blazing furnace, and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisers crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed them, not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel to rescue and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any, any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any national language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. The king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the province of Babylon.
1: Well done, Hannah. That was amazing. Come on. One awesome, awesome scripture. Well, we're going to, just before we get up our preacher today, I am going to just quickly get the offering QR code put up on the wall. Um, And so if you guys want to give in today's offering, you can do so digitally. If you want to give by cash, uh, you know, just give it to Andrew or something. I don't know. Um, (laughs) That's fine. We've not got the baskets out or anything like that today. Um, But yeah, feel free to do into that. But um, I don't know about you, but when Hannah was reading that story, I just really felt Presence of God on that, and just an excitement for what God is doing when, when you hear this, like when it's ah, like, oh, there's four men in the furnace, and you just feel the presence of God on that. It's a beautiful thing. Although I do want to know where Daniel was. Do you know what I mean? I've never thought of that before. I'm like, you know, was he? He wasn't bowing down. I know he wasn't. We know who Daniel is, but where was Daniel? What was he doing? Anyway, right. I I digress. Um. So we have a wonderful guest speaker today. Um. You know, I know him as dad, so you can all call him Stuart, but um, I'm going to keep calling him dad if that's okay. It'd be weird for me to start calling him Stuart, but my dad, Stuart, he's sitting over there at the back because, you know, they don't want to be on pretense or anything like that. So why don't you just welcome my dad up. (laughs) Woo! Yay! Come on. So for those of you who don't know my dad, he's my dad. Um... He is also one of our trustees of Church of London, which is amazing. He came out of retirement leading a stupid number of churches in the Baptist Union um, and then got even busier helping us out here, which is great. So thank you for that. <laughs> I'll stop talking now, but why don't you just reach out your hands towards us and we'll just pray. <sighs> Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that you speak through him, I thank you to speak over him, and I ask would you pour out your anointing upon him right now, in your mighty name, but would you reveal to us truth of this word that we've never, ever seen before, that this would transcend being a Sunday school story into being a true life impactful story, in Jesus' mighty name, Amen.
2: amen. Thank you, Dan, and thank you for doing the reading, I thought that was pretty rotten of him to dump that on you. With no expect, you know, no preparation for all those wonderful words that there are in there. Now, look, before I get on to looking at this passage, just a couple of things I'd like to mention. First of all, well, just before the service, I had a, uh, a message from a friend of mine in Nazareth. You've heard of Nazareth? Yeah, which isn't that far from where this story took place. And uh, I was talking to him uh, on Zoom earlier in the week. Um, he's uh, the head of, uh, the principal of Nazareth evangelical college and uh, he's part of a group of people praying at the moment and I think at the moment the situation in Israel-Palestine is one that we should surely be praying about and some of us are praying about it Um, but this particular group of pastors a few years ago one of the uh, a group of pastors met down in the Negev Uh, some of them were the pastors of um, Arabic churches in Palestine, which are both in Israel, the West Bank, and Gaza. And the other pastors were pastors of Messianic churches, so they're Jewish. Some of those pastors have got family in the West Bank and in Gaza. Some of them have got church members and children from their families serving in the IDF. They meet together to pray. They are praying together online. The last prayer meeting had 60 of them meeting together in person to pray for repentance on both sides of the conflict. These are your brothers and sisters. They are Jews and they are Arabs they need your support will you just join me in prayer father god we thank you for your children there in that land that is so holy and so precious to you the land where your son walked and we want to bring our brothers and sisters to you tonight those who are of jewish tradition background and those who are of palestinian arabic background we ask your blessing upon them, and as they commit themselves to pray for peace, for reconciliation and for repentance, we join them in praying that prayer. Lord, bring repentance in the Hamas and Hezbollah. Bring repentance. In the Knesset, the Jewish Parliament, there has been so much horror and pain on both sides. Lord, have mercy. We cry out in the name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. I one other thing I want to say before we get into this particular passage of Scripture um, I was partly prompted because I didn't understand why God reminded me of a particular vision when I was preparing this sermon. So it doesn't fit with this sermon, but God reminds me of it, uh, a vision that he gave me a while ago. And when Dan was sharing about the, uh, the issue of pedophilia earlier, there was a verse that God took me to in Jeremiah when he gave me this vision. And, and it just kind of rang out for me. This is from Jeremiah chapter 6. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike, all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them. That's the age we live in. In the government that we have got, there is no shame. The people who rule this country do not know how to blush. The prevailing attitudes within our country now, there's no such thing as sin, there's no such thing as wrong. where's the church been? Let me tell you the vision. The vision I had was when Jill and I were praying, and I saw these British islands, and I kind of swept across the British islands, and I saw a storm going on. And the islands were being hit by waves, by hurricanes, the sort of weather some of us have been experiencing recently, particularly down on the south coast. And and I could just see all that. And around the islands were lighthouses. And these lighthouses were mostly not shining, some of them were shining but many of them had the lights on indoors downstairs. You know how lighthouses work? There were families, there were people, there were the friends of the families in the lighthouse with the lights on downstairs, but the light up the top wasn't shining. And as a consequence, there were people dying in the water. There were lives being destroyed and wrecked around the coasts of this country. And God said, that's what's going on in the church today. Brothers and sisters, there's too many churches who are having a nice time indoors. They're feeling safe while the world around them is going to hell. Too many brothers and sisters who are nice and cozy and the gospel is making them, well, I'm saved, I'm happy, I'm okay while outside the light isn't shining and the people are living in darkness. I've shared that picture with some of the the leading church leaders in this country, including some of the bishops, and they've responded. But it needs every lighthouse to be turned on, to be shining And giving the people out their hope and life and direction. Showing them where the rocks are. Showing them where their lives are just going to be destroyed if they do not know the light of God. Amen? Okay, that's not the sermon. (laughs) But that's what I was feeling I had to share with you this evening. I just want to come now to this story about Shadrach. Meshach and Abednego and the fiery furnace, or as we used to say when Dan was little, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, really <laughs> 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 of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abed—I Abed, can't get it right myself now—Abednego. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Of course, they they were not their real names. I know you've looked at that recently, the fact that these are the names that were given to them because their real names were Hebrew names. Hananiah, the Lord shows grace. Michelle, who is what God is? And Azariah, the Lord helps. And they were given false names that reflected uh, an almost undermining... Of their names and allotting them to other gods. Names can be very important. Now my name is Stewart, which comes historically from the word steward. Now a steward was originally, I mean I know you know about household stewards in castles and things like that, originally the steward was a name given to the keeper of the pigs. My kids weren't very impressed when they heard that their dad was the keeper of the pigs But over the years, that name grew and changed. So it became the the keeper of the animals. And in the end, it was another name for a shepherd. A steward was a shepherd. And God called me to be a shepherd and then to be a shepherd of shepherds. So there is importance in our names. There's importance in your name. And remember that you were given your name before your parents thought it up. God knows your name. He knows who you are. And I think there's somebody here tonight, either online or here, and you're not too sure about how you got your name because you're not too sure about your parents. And I felt God just saying, I know you by name. I named you. Not the parents, not anybody else. I named you. And I love you. So whoever you are, hear that from God. Now, according to legend, George Washington once threw a silver dollar across the Potomac River. You can't do this today because a dollar doesn't go as far as it used to. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Now... I see that uh, I see that that software legend Photoshop is turning 25 this week. Actually, it's turning 36. It just looks 25. Now, <laughs> I um, it was. Do you remember Bobby Bull? Yeah. Bobby Bull. Some of you remember Bobby Bull. Rock on, Tommy. And there's been in a lot of programmes. He died not that long ago. But uh, Bobby Ball, it was him who introduced me to saying that somebody was a legend in his own lifetime. <laughs> uh, I was interviewing Bobby for Radio Luxembourg back in the day, and um, after the interview, uh, he went on stage for a very big Christmas show in front of thousands of people with Dana. Some of you may remember Dana. And you're not all young, are you? <laughs> anyway, he went on stage with her, and... Uh, he was dressed as a snowman. And there was a lot of jokes about that he didn't want to be a snowman, he wanted to be a snowball because he was Bobby Bull. But then, after those jokes, Donna just turned to Bobby Bull and said, So tell me, Bobby, what's changed for you since you became a Christian? The whole place went silent. And Bobby said, I love him. I just love him. And he cracked up and he left stage, tears on his face. And he came back on a few minutes later and uh, apologized uh, for his emotional response, but he said, I love him. And then he and Dana sang together Love Lifts Us Up, Where We Belong. Now, legends legends. Some have wanted the story of these three amigos to be a mere legend that was composed later. No more than a Sunday school to impress kids. However, the word Dura is in this passage, which is a specific place in Babylonian geography. This took place on the Plain of Dura. An archaeologist called Upert identified the location where this happened. Not a legend, not a made-up story, a real event that happened in a real place at a real time. It's a bit like, you know, people wanted to dismiss it. It's a bit like some people said, well, the story of Goliath could never have happened. Because nobody knew where Gad was. Until the beginning of the last century, an archaeologist found Gad. Not only did he find Gad, but as they excavated the place, they found a piece of broken pottery with Goliath written on it. (laughs) Or those who think that the Bible itself was just made up and then... Not passed down very faithfully through the centuries. Until a shepherd boy threw a stone into a cave because he wanted to make sure there were no bears or wild animals in the cave when he would lost some of his sheep. But instead of hearing a noise of a growl or a baa, he heard the sound of pottery being broken. And he was scared to death and ran away, <laughs> but he came back. And they discovered these pottery jars in the cave. I've been there, it's down by the Dead Sea. They're now known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they've disproved all those people who said, well, the Bible wasn't real. It was just made up. They found all those records. Hallelujah. See, we have to be very careful when we write things off as just being legends or made-up stories to make a point. Now, what about our three friends here, though? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They've got on well. They've risen through the ranks to be well-known and in high positions within the land. This is an age like today. If that verse from Jeremiah describes today, the world that was going on at this point was very much like today as well. You see, it was polytheistic. They acknowledged many gods, many religions. It was offensive to only to believe that only one God was the true God, and only one religion could be right. So, these friends... They could have been okay if they'd just gone with the flow. They could have assimilated this new statue, and they could have worshipped Nebuchadnezzar into the mix. That was the safe way. <laughs> Don't oppose the multi faith, multicultural worldview. Sound familiar? To say that Jesus is the only way. That he is the truth and the life is not acceptable today. You Christians are so narrow-minded. Yeah? Ever heard that one? <laughs> An old acquaintance of mine was in the Times last Saturday. A guy called Jack, Jack Hemmings. He was a pilot during World War II. He took me up in his plane, uh, and I flew it, which was great. But uh, Jack, uh, he's just turned 102, by the way. And he was the first pilot to take an MAF plane out to Africa after the Second World War. He decided to use the skills that he'd learnt during the war. And the MAF, the Missionary Aviation Fellowship, was set up, and he flew the first plane out to Africa. So it was a real privilege to me to fly with him and then to see that in the newspaper. I mean, that was, I'm going back 40 years when I flew with him. (laughs) But to see him then in the newspapers uh, was wonderful. But you see, I like flying. I know in these days it's not always a good thing to admit on the grounds of the pollution to the planet, but I do like, I like flying little planes and big planes and anything in between. But you know, I always want a pilot to be narrow-minded. You know, when we're up there, I want him to know where's the right place to put the plane down. I do not want a pilot flying the plane who's going to say, well, I like that bit of water over there. I wonder if this thing floats. Or there's a nice long strip over there with lights down the middle of it. I think it's called the M1. Let's give it a go. See if we can land on that. You don't want that, do you? Or looking around and trying to land the plane in a field. field. No, you want a pilot who's narrow-minded because he knows there is one safe place to put this plane down. And that is on a runway. And Jesus is the runway. He is the way. If we want to land the safe place, that's the place to go. So, yes, I'm a narrow-minded Christian because I want my life to end up in the right place. And that's what I want to share with anybody else who does not have a faith in Jesus. They can call me narrow-minded. I don't mind because I understand why I'm narrow-minded on that issue. Now, today... There are many gods in our country. Not all of them are attached to religion. They can be footballers, music stars, TV personalities like Russell Brand, social influencers, church leaders, worship leaders. You know, I reminded you last time I met with some of you of the words of John Wimber. I will not be put on a pedestal. I won't be your hero. I know what you do to your heroes. And in humility, he said, I'm just a fat man trying to get to heaven. And if all those things are true, that there are all these other gods that people have chosen, I think probably the biggest god of today is me. We have a world that is populated by over six billion me's. And it's all because I'm worth it. I can determine who I am, what my gender is, or even what animal I am. I can be anything I want to be. A self-made man worships his God. That's our problem. That was the problem facing these guys as well. How did they get into this fix that they were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace? Jealousy of other people was the start of it. Because they'd risen through the ranks, they were doing well. The very life that they lived meant that they were good people who tried to do the right thing. And so they were acknowledged and elevated. And other people hated them for it and thought, when are we going to catch them out? We've got the opportunity now. Let's make sure that they get their downfall now. And then that was backed up by Nebuchadnezzar's anger at the presumption of these three men. How could they not do what they were told to do? Now the passage suggests that our three friends could have gotten away with being non-conformists if not for these enemies who turned them in. These were professional colleagues who were jealous of their rise in the Babylonian government. Here was their chance to undermine them, in fact to bring them to a full stop. Meanwhile, Nebuchadnezzar saw everything from his perspective Everyone worshiped the image. Well, it was a bit difficult to miss this image. It was rather obvious. it was 30 meters high and three meters wide. That means it would just fit into the nave, the nave, in Westminster Abbey. How big it was. Have you ever been in there and looked up at the ceiling? Imagine so that it fills the whole of that space. but did they all worship it? Or were many just going through the motions and some just keeping out of sight? You see, we see Nebuchadnezzar showing signs of having a sense of insecurity. He was the ruler of all the known world. His was the biggest empire of its day. You'd think he was quite secure, but he wasn't. Bit like Putin, the most powerful man in Russia, loved and worshipped by and voted for his people. Lol. (laughs) So sure of himself that he has to remove all opposition. Yeah? I could talk about Xi Jinping. Or Kim Jong-un. So sure of themselves, they have to remove all opposition. Do we need to talk about Trump as well? Maybe not physically bumping people off, but removing those who oppose him or allowing others to do it on his behalf, and this week saying that he will deal with, quote, those vermin who oppose him when he gets back into power. Brothers and sisters, leadership should involve being open to criticism and other points of view. Let him who has ears, let him hear. Nebuchadnezzar knew he had opposition. Opposition from others today is a certainty, particularly for us as Christians. But I think it's there for everybody. Opposition is often vitriolic today. I think social media has got a lot to do with that, and so East EastEnders. We have just accepted that vile behavior is normal and right and acceptable. So you suddenly become homophobic, transphobic, Islamophobic, and that it leads to death threats. J.K. Rowling, Sharon Davis, from the LGBTQ plus community, which is not a community and is falling out internally, as it has already done with the feminist movement. The trans group doesn't sit easily with many in the homosexual community today. The use of social media has enabled this vitriol. Please be very, very careful how you use this media. I'm not a Luddite, (laughs) but I've taken myself off of most social media because it is so abused today. And talking of phobias... Here's a few phobias. See if you recognize them. Tyrandophobia. Do you know what tyrandophobia is? No. (laughs) Fear of reindeer. Hmm? Yeah. (laughs) Chionophobia. Do you know what chionophobia is? Fear of snow. Oh, I like this one. Phaeophobia. Phaeophobia. Dan's going to freak out at this one. You are. Fear of elves. Sisanophobia. <laughs> 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 uh, oh. Sisanophobia is the fear of kissing under mistletoe which is probably actually an unwillingness to be kissed by a complete stranger or by somebody you wouldn't touch with a barge pole. (laughs) But it's there, it's listed as a phobia. You see, phobias are fears. I am not afraid of the gay community. If I disagree with the opinions or beliefs of another, that does not make me a hater of them or afraid of their opinions and beliefs. I believe that Muslims have a right to freedom of conscience in a free society. I have the right to engage with them and share Jesus, Isa, with them. I don't believe that they have the right to say that only they can use the Arabic generic term for God, Allah, and that my Arabic Christian brothers and sisters can't. I don't believe that they have the right to kill me for disagreeing with them, nor that I have the right to kill them for disagreeing with me. I'm the Vice Chair of Governors at Spurgeon's Theological College. We have recently appointed Rick Warren as our new chancellor. Some of you will know Rick Warren, the purpose-driven church. Purpose-driven life. Rick is the pastor of Saddleback Church in the States, a very large church. When he listened and read and prayed and changed his view on women in ministry to be to one of affirming this scripturally, he received vitriolic emails and stuff online from people who described themselves as Christians. And used to be his friends (laughs) who couldn't cope with his perceived criticism of their position. May the Lord have mercy on us. By their fruits you shall know them. Let's distinguish between disagreement and hate. Let's not call things fears which are not fears. That is just a way of stopping freedom of speech. We must be the lights shining the good news of Jesus into the world today, even in the face of opposition. But we do not do it in hate. We do it in love. Now, I was given the title for this sermon of When Your Faith is Active, We Can See God at Work. So it's about time I dealt with the title, I suppose. Uh, What is the time? (laughs) Um, First thing I want to say, the main thing I think I want to say is God didn't save them from the ordeal. These three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He didn't save them. He didn't just send down an angel and help them to walk away through the crowd. He brought them through it and was with them in it. They did not go into the furnace thinking all would be well. They went in thinking they were being faithful to their God and it was going to cost them their lives. They were probably the most amazed people there when they found themselves still alive and meeting with the Son of God in the furnace. See, look at their answer as a whole. Either God will deliver them, for he is well able to do that, or else, for reasons best known to himself, he will not deliver them. Yet, even in that case, they cannot alter their position and do anything other than what they originally purposed to do. The Apostle Paul's faith was active, and he saw God at work. Amen? Amen. I mean, no one's going to turn around and say, "Well, you know, Paul never got up to anything," (laughs) and yet Paul got beaten up, left for dead, opposed by those of other faiths. He was flogged five times with the cat of nine tails, thirty-nine times each time because they believed that forty times would kill a person. He was stoned and not in the way that people mean today. He was shipwrecked three times. He was lowered in a basket over the wall when when King Aretas wanted him arrested. Now, read the book of Acts. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. All that happened to Paul, that did not mean God was not with him. It does not mean he didn't see God at work. He saw God at work. He planted more churches than you or I have ever done. (laughs) He saw miracles and so many coming to faith in Jesus. See, God didn't keep him out of all those troubles. But he was with him in them. Pastor Lamb. I heard Pastor Lamb some years ago now at a meeting of... uh, Charismatic church leaders in Brighton. And uh, Pastor Lam, uh, he was arrested in China for being a pastor and put in prison. Not only was he put in prison, but because he was a pastor, the, war, the guards wanted to make life as horrible as possible for him. So while he was in prison serving hard labor, they assigned him to the cesspit, his job was to take the human feces, dig them out and make them available for putting as manure on the fields. So he was there in that place, surrounded by human excrement. You can probably imagine what the smell was like, what the flies were like. But Pastor Lamb said, Jesus was with me. In fact, he said, those guards put me in such a horrible place that they wouldn't come there. So they couldn't hear me singing and praising and praying Isn't that wonderful? Some of you may know this song. This is one of the songs that he sang, and he sang it for us. I come to the garden alone While the dew is still on the roses And the voice I hear falling on my ear The Son of God discloses And that's discovering God's at work, even in the furnace. He remained true to his savior. And later was to see God at work in such powerful ways in China as one of the leaders of the Chinese underground church. And I know you've met, some of you have met um, the heavenly man and have heard some of that side of the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not saved from going into the furnace. Becoming a Christian does not mean that Jesus is going to shave you from all problems and difficulties and opposition at work and opposition because you're a Christian. They met Jesus in the furnace, and yes, they certainly saw God work. Jesus was not saved from the cross. Could have been. Could have been. Imagine you're an angel. Now, I know some of you think you are, but, you know. Imagine you're an angel, and one day you hear in heaven that the one that you serve, Jesus, the the Son of God, is going to go down onto this mothball of a planet called Earth. And you, what? And you see him going down. And then you see see him born in a cave, underneath a pub, in a, born in a manger. You think, What's going on? This doesn't know who this is. This is Jesus. The Lord of all creation. Now, do please remember that if you're getting your Christmas tree ready, you know that thing that some people put on top of the Christmas tree—the fairy—that is not an angel. You know, if you want to think angel, think Arnold Schwarzenegger with a sword and wings. The angels are. The angels are the hosts of heaven. This is the armies of the Lord. Okay, so don't think fairy or Tinkerbell when you're thinking angel. So you're one of those angels and you're watching from heaven what's going down on earth. And then one day you see these these upstart human beings take your Jesus and they drag him through the streets. and They spit at him, they whip him and then they go and nail him on a cross. What are you going to do if it were me? I would be ready to go down there and flatten everybody in sight. Yeah? And the Bible says that Jesus only had to give one word and it would have happened. The angelic hosts would have come straight down and saved him. But he didn't give the word. Because he knew he had to go to that cross. He had to go to that cross because of his love for you and for me. He went to that cross and was held there not by nails, but by love. You know, it's Christmas, and we're going to probably sing a song about Jesus, meek and mild. Yeah? I want to be quite clear. The word meek and the word weak are not the same word. Okay, big difference. Anybody... Oh, come on. Some of you must have watched Blue Peter when you were younger. Yeah? And you know how they, uh, the Blue Peter, they would go to where the police horses are trained. And they would. take how do you train a police horse? Well, you take him and, and he's got to be prepared to cope with football crowds. He's got to be... The horse has got to be able to cope when there's flames and loud noises and people letting off fireworks. It's tough. Well, in the Greek world... That's how they trained their horses for battle. They would take their horse, and they would train it in all those ways. Because the last thing you want to do going into battle is your horse to think, don't fancy this, and run the other way. So your horse has got to be trained so it's battle-hardened, battle-ready. And when they finally trained the horse, the final test was they took a candle, and they lit it, and they passed it under the flanks of the horse. And if the horse didn't flinch, they said, this horse is Meek. That's the meaning. When you are battle ready, when you will not flinch away from what you've got to do, that's meek. Jesus is not weak. Jesus is meek. He went to that cross in all the strength of his love for the world that he had created and loved and then died for. So he was not saved from the cross. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not saved from going into the furnace, but they met Jesus there. And if you want to see God at work, you will find sometimes he takes you into the furnace, into the difficulties, into the tough times, but he will be with you and you will see God at work. Sorry, John Wimber again, and I'm just about to finish, all right? John Wimber again. John Wimber talks about the fact that some people, when they become Christians, they think, oh, this is going to be wonderful. It's going to be such a nice, happy party. We're going to go down to the harbor and get on a nice cruise ship now. And when we get down to the cruise ship, it's going to be a wonderful sailing with Jesus and they go down there and they've got their rubber ducks and they've got their water wings and they, you know, <laughs> they've got their deck chairs. And they get there and they get down to the harbour side and they are somewhat surprised when they discover it's not a nice cruise ship. It's a big grey boat with a number on the side because they've been called up into the battle to save the world. Do you want to see Jesus? He got at work. If you do not have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you need prayer and you need to submit to him. If you want to be alive in the Spirit and have not experienced him, then you need to be asking for prayer. Sign up to see God at work and you will be amazed at how he can use you to change the world around you. Looking at Shadrach, Meshach, and As a Baptist and a governor of Spurgeon's college, let me finish with a quote from C.H. Spurgeon. God is a consuming fire and can only be served by those who are on fire for him. Are you on fire for Jesus? Will you go into this world today? recognizing that too many Christians, the lights have gone off. We've got to go and shine. We've got to go and make a difference in this world, even if it means opposition. But be assured that if it means opposition, you'll meet Jesus, and you'll see the world changing, and you will see miracles. Amen.
1: Come on. Well, there's only one obvious ministry point to that, and it's one wonder, Stephen, whether you can play one of the instruments that you're showing off can do. Is Do you want to be on fire? I think that's ultimately where we're landing. There's John Wesley who said, I set myself on fire so that people can come and watch me burn. And... You know, I'm a bit of a revival history fanatic, but you know you hear of so many people throughout the ages talking of the fire of God. That Spurgeon's quote, John Wesley, the revivalist Latimer, when he was burning at the stake. Do you want the fire of God? Because it's funny how in this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stand in the hottest fire that man can make, that man believes could be all-consuming, and nothing is consumed. Apart from the guards, in some versions it says, the guards who threw them in, they perished. And yet God is an all-consuming fire because he's interested in all of you. And so I think we're going to worship to finish. Is that all right? But I really think the opportunity is simply this, that if you you want to respond today to saying, look, I want to burn brighter. Me and Ashley have been praying a lot recently into what the Lord is saying for kind of, you know, a lot of people have been asking us about the vision of the church and where we're going. And... A very important verse in our lives for us. It was our wedding verse. Isaiah 58, verses 6 to 11. Specifically in the message version. But it finishes off with this. I'll say this with the fast day I'm looking for. It finishes off saying this. Do this and the lights will turn on. And And I think in response to the vision that Dad shared of the lighthouses, actually we don't want to be a lighthouse that's just got the internal lights on and we're not shining forth the NIV translation of the message of the Isaiah 58 says, do this and your light will burst forth like the dawn. And so I just want to invite you to stand and if you need to come to the front and just kneel, then kneel. If you, you know, in whatever context you're in right now, just engage with God. My prayer is simply going to be this. God, turn up the heat. I mentioned the guy Latimer, but there was two lords, Latimer and Ridley. And it was when Protestant Christians were being burnt at the stake for their faith in this country. And Latimer famously turned to Ridley and said, Ridley, play the man. For today we will light a fire in this nation that will never go out. But it's not for one man to say, and then us all to sit back and go, yeah, thanks. It's not for us to hear this quote Spurgeons or of Wesley or of Latimer or of whoever else and go, yeah, there's a fire, cool. But it's for us to say, yeah, and we're not going to let it go out. There's this song that's just been released by, I think it's Elevation Worship, but where it says, go ask those Hebrew boys <laughs> as they stand in the fire and they'll identify the fourth man in the fire. And I think, I think burning starts, like Dad said, with just a focus on Jesus. And so just fix your eyes on him. And we just say, Jesus, we fix our eyes on you would you capture us? Would you capture our gaze? Would you capture our focus with ferocity? Even aggression, God, we need you to capture us in such, dare I say, a violent way so that we can never be unsure of that capturing, that we can never be unsure of that encounter, that we can never be unsure of that engagement with you, that you would grab hold of us even if it's by the scruff of our necks, would you grab hold of us now, Jesus? and Set us right. Set us right. Set us right in you. Set us right in you. That we would never let the waves that would toss us or the furnaces or the lion's den or any of those things become bigger than you. As we step forward in our lives, those things when they present themselves will just be moments where we look into your eyes even deeper and you say to us, I've got you. And God, with that same ferocity you grab us, would you release a tenacity in our hearts to burn bright for you? God, you can close the mouths of lions and so you can open the mouths of us recovering sinners. And so God, where there's been fear to open our mouths, would you remove it and replace it with the fear of God? Where there's been been worry about how we were viewed, would you remove it? Get rid of these false anxieties, these false fears, these phobias, God, these earthly things that would try and distract us from your word and your truth and would you enlighten us today? empower us today give us no other choice than to walk your way I say God would you turn the heat up in me in Jesus name Amen Amen